Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. I think it's fair to say I've officially kicked Dalton off of this pod. I am taking over the interviews full-time, and I could not be happier to do it because for today's podcast, we have a very special guest. I've been talking to her for maybe the past 20 minutes now, and we agreed, oh, we should probably start the podcast because we were having that much fun. She is the former number one recruit on TennisRecruiting.net, a University of Georgia All-American, and I would have to say the finest partner Ultra Ankle has ever had. Kennedy Schaefer, welcome to the Cracked Interviews podcast. I am not going to lie to you. I've never felt better about myself <laughs> <laughs> after listening to someone speak about me. That was, uh, that was the greatest compliment I've ever received. Thank you so much for having me. No, of course, and I should say I've done a lot of bit, uh, a lot of research, so there will be little tidbits like that throughout the podcast. But seriously, Kennedy, you know, thank you so much for taking the time for coming on. We're so excited to talk to you, particularly after your Georgia Bulldogs took home the 2019 ITA National Indoors. That had to be cool to watch. Woo! I'm going to give my, uh, obviously, my seal of approval from far away. You know, it's, uh, it's really nice to see. I know almost all the girls and even the recruits that came in, such such great girls, all still hardworking and, and great coaches. So as an alumni, even though I technically haven't graduated, so it's kind of hard to call myself that. Um, it's great. It's great to see you know a program that is very near and dear to your heart doing so well. It's it's such a deserving, such a deserving group of people. So I am I, I've been rocking my full Georgia gear now. So I'm basically like always <laughs> silently supporting. <laughs> No, of course. But be honest, it, it's got to hurt a little bit, right, that they win it right after you leave. You're like, come on. Uh, it stings, um, <laughs> particularly because I don't really feel like I, uh, I contributed too much my senior year. I had a couple of health issues and everything, and so I kind of felt like I was bringing everyone down a bit. So then when they leave, and, and or when I'm sorry, when I leave and they win, I'm kind of like, oh, I can't lie. I probably saw that coming. <laughs> I don't know if that's fair. I would, I'm sure they would argue differently, but still, it, it was your leadership that set the the groundwork that allowed this title to come through. Moral support is more important than people make you think. <laughs> At least that's what I tell myself. Oh, I completely agree. That's why I'm so excited to do this podcast. I feel like we've been very supportive of each other thus far. I you like agree the compliment. More. <laughs> you come on and you call us professional, and that's the biggest joke of all. So, oh very my excited. Gosh. <laughs> very excited to do this. But I, I want to start today's interview here. Uh, you are from Rossford, Ohio, near and dear to my heart, as I am also from the Midwest. I am from your better neighbor up in Michigan. But I want to ask you. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I've thrown a little shot there, but just in general, how did you get involved with the game of tennis? You know, when did you realize it was the sport for you? You know, it, it, I really had no idea what I wanted to do. My dad was actually a professional two-man beach volleyball player, and uh, my mom was like triathlons, marathons, all that stuff. <laughs> so basically, it was not an option um, to not be, or at least to not attempt to be athletic in some way, shape, or form. And so, like. Along with with volleyball, my dad played. Um, he was a four or five. He played. He played tennis, and so we basically my my two sisters and I. I'm the middle child. We all kind of played every sport. I, I think at one point I was playing six or seven sports, and uh, I was just kind of average at everything except for tennis. It was like a little above average, you know. So my dad was like, "All right, we might have to give this one a go and put the others on hold because they're not really working out." <laughs> Well, that explains all of this because I am also a middle child, and that's why we're speaking the same language. I'm telling totally you, if people are not middle children, and I, I no diss, um, they just don't get the struggle. 
<laughs> I would argue we, we become stronger because of it. Your parents are so consumed. The oldest kid is going through everything the first time. Yep. And then with the young the youngest kid, they're like, well, we don't want to screw this up since it's our last one. Yep. And we just kind of get to set our own path. And it's always older and younger versus you. Like, I, yeah, I know this is over dramatic, but I always feel like it's middle child versus the world. Oh, and that's why we're the wittiest. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's what I tell myself. Oh, well, I, I have to ask, did your sisters play tennis? Did you get to grow up competing against them? I did not. My uh, my younger sister tried for a while. And, and again, my parents just kind of like, uh, sports are just, just kind of like the way, so to speak. So we all gave everything a try. My older sister actually, um, she got a full scholarship to play Division Two basketball. And um, I... I know I went to Georgia and my younger sister just signed her NLI to play soccer for a local college. So they actually, my parents got a mix of everything with us. The younger one tried, but uh, as naturally, naturally and athletically gifted as she was, she just like did not have the, um, gosh, how do I put this and not be insulting? The love, maybe the love of the game. We're going to call it that. Yeah. She didn't have the focus <laughs> either. I think team sports were just definitely the way for her to go. Whereas I'm kind of, like no, the, the you have to be a little, yeah. You have to be a little bit crazy to play tennis. I totally get that. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's part of the charm. It's uh, why we're such a fun group of people. But you know, for you growing up in Ohio, uh, I know you eventually ended up at the Yvonne Lendl Tennis Academy. Um, why was it for you that that was the best decision to make? Was it you wanted a higher level of training? You just were ready to play the sport full time. You know what appealed about that to you? I think it was, uh, to be entirely honest with you, I stumbled across a video on YouTube of uh, Maria Shishkina, and she was 12 years old, and she was like this phenom, and uh, I, I feel bad name-dropping, but like she inspired me. I was in, like, I think I was in eighth grade, and I saw that she trained at an academy, and I was just like, I have to go. I have to go. I need to leave. I just want to be like this girl, younger than me, but still like just incredible and so my parents were like okay like you can uh, you can try one year of high school if you want at home and see how that goes because I, I wanted to play at the high school that my mom went to and I, I did for a year and I loved it but after that I just kind of felt like I wasn't really gonna get anywhere and um, my sisters and I we all had the goal with our parents that we just wanted to get our colleges paid for because our parents paid for our travel and our training and all that when we were younger we just kind of we thought it would be nice <laughs> to put it to put it kind of bluntly it would be it'd be nice to save that expense for them so I just kind of felt like I wouldn't really be able to take off with anything if I stayed and uh, it ended up being like probably the best and the worst thing I did because it it estranged me from my family a little bit but uh, at the same time you know you know that's just if you want to get better you kind of you have to make a decision and put yourself in an environment like that. I think one of the hardest parts about junior tennis is it requires so much traveling, so much time away from home. And when you're from the Midwest, to play outdoors is even that much more difficult because <laughs> it's winter, you know, six yes. months of the year. And so, yeah, you do have to move. And I'm curious, looking back on it, not to say you didn't have a high school experience, but I imagine a lot of your time during those years was spent traveling. And, you know, if you could go back, would you continue to make that decision or are there things you regret about that time? You know, I uh, I actually, some people might say that they regretted it. They didn't really have a life, but uh, I'm probably doing myself a disservice by saying this, but I've always been kind of like 
lame. So I I went to homecoming. (laughs) And I say that, I genuinely mean it. I went to homecoming my freshman year and I was like, I I don't get what is, uh, what is entertaining about this. I I went with a great group of friends and I'm not, I'm not knocking, you know, the the people I was with. I had a lot of fun, but it just, it didn't really call to me. And, and I've, I've always been the kind of, uh, stay in and read a book I, I i went out a little bit in college and then by my senior year i don't think i went out one time so <laughs> i really uh, i think my my grandma tendencies started to emerge kind of at a younger age like my parents have always called me an old soul i'm like a diehard 80s music fan so stranger things was the greatest show ever because of the soundtrack and you know <laughs> I, i've got like a library app on my phone i read all my books when i travel so uh I, I think I would keep, I think I would stick with my decision. I think that just probably fits my personality type a little better. Totally fair. Note to self, Kennedy Schaefer, not a dancer. I oh, guess God, that's no, good no rhythm. No rhythm. <laughs> can't sing, can't dance, can't draw, um, but could finish a book in like a day. So, oh, you know, no, that's, you pick that's... one. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say that's far more impressive. Uh, but I do want to ask, you know, you you were very modest talking about you you were above average at tennis. Some would argue when you get up to as high as number one on tennis recruiting, you are far better than that. <laughs> and you look throughout your junior career, you have success. You know, you win Atlanta ITFs back-to-back in 2013-2014, finals of the clay courts. Um, <laughs> was there ever uh, – yeah, and, you know, you're laughing. I imagine you, you put those in perspective of everything else. But was there any thought? at that time you know maybe I should just try and go pro right away maybe I don't even need to go to college I thought about it but to be to be blunt I didn't think about it because I thought I was incredibly talented I I thought about it because I kind of worried coming from a homeschool environment how I would keep up um it's not that I'm not intelligent I I was always kind of like nothing great but but I I worked hard at my academics I was again I'd say a little above average but homeschooling is just so very different and I came from traveling all the time training all the time kind of if I if I'm honest like I think most homeschool kids play tennis like kind of just getting by doing what needed to be done um I was concerned that I that college would be very different and I wouldn't be able to keep up with the demands of of playing all the time and and trying to pursue that higher level and then attending attending a school where the academics were you know challenging so like if I thought about it it was because a I wanted to play but you know mainly b I was I was concerned how I would adjust to it all after kind of being alone for so long and and I hadn't played a team sport in forever so it was it was a little bit worry on my part that I would fit in okay no, I think everyone who's applying to colleges, whether it's for athletics or not, feels that sort of pressure. And, you know, I, I want to ask on a tennis note first, when considering those pro aspirations, was that something that factored into, you know, your recruiting process, looking at the many colleges, I'm sure, that were trying to court you at the time? Uh, no, not really. I, uh, <laughs> my college process is actually a little more simple than some people might might think you know I really uh I visited Duke and that was always my dream school because I've always been a diehard Duke basketball fan and uh, that's, <laughs> yeah I know con- walking contradiction I also liked Kentucky basketball that was where I won my first ever national so I, that sounds so ridiculous you can't like both those teams. No, you're but, you're you know, a bandwagon fan uh, that's fine I, I went there and I won my first tournament and I was like this is where I'm going to school mom I, I don't know I was 13 or 14 or whatever I was I, I don't even know but and then I kind of did get a little 
better. And then, again, not a knock on the Kentucky program whatsoever, but I just kind of thought I wanted to play somewhere big. And if I got swallowed up, then I got swallowed up. But I, I wanted to just see if I would be capable of of playing at that level. And I got, I wanted to see what it was like to be on a big stage and, and experience that. And so I visited, I visited Georgia. I didn't even remember. It was super random. I, I had talked to Drake and they were like, you should come visit. And I visited, I think it was in May of 2014, maybe right after I had lost at NCAAs at home. There was nobody on campus. It was just my coach and I, and then I ended up committing. So like, I didn't really meet the team. I was just, uh, that was, that was it. I visited Ohio State. I visited Duke and then Georgia. And then that was it. So I kept it. I don't know if that was the best thing ever or not, but I kept it very careful. <laughs> and I was just so impressed by by the facilities. I just was like, okay. I, I actually didn't even know anything about the school or the program. It was kind of going to be Duke for me all along. And uh, that didn't end up happening. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, different things work for different people. And I do want to ask you, for anyone who listens to this, if they're going through the recruiting process now, you know, is there any advice you would give to them? It sounds like you kept it simple, kind of, you know, went with your gut in terms of this feels right for me. Is that kind of the method you would suggest? Yeah, and I, uh, you know, I'm very honest about, like, myself and my personality, if that wasn't apparent yet um, but I, I've actually anxiety has always been something I've struggled with so for me to over complicate things and over analyze things uh, really 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 ruined things for me so I just I, I felt like the coaches cared about me and I that that was my that was my big thing it's just I guess when I got there I realized so much that it, it's all about the team and the coaches those are the people that you spend almost all your time with so you know, just make sure that you, you like them, that your coaches care, that they're interested in you. And my, my second piece of advice would be don't base your results. Like don't, or how do I phrase this properly? I started losing <laughs> a couple matches and I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't commit anywhere. Nobody's going to want me. So uh, don't base your college commitment off of, or don't let, I'm sorry. Don't let your results affect your college commitment. Because <laughs> then I kind of rushed it a little because I was afraid they would risk like, they would take away the offer, even though that's super unrealistic. And I, I love where <laughs> I ended up, but you know, don't put that pressure on yourself. Those are my longly, long-worded two pieces of advice because <laughs> that was a mouthful and a half. Ugh. No, that's that, look. That was that was good. That's what players need to hear because I think they, a lot of them, I'm sure, do get worried about the results. Do wonder, oh no, will this loss knock me out of contention? So yeah, I think that perspective definitely helps them. Uh, uh, my last request recruiting question in general a lot of players say you know your relationship with your head coach is so important because that's the person and both coaches not just the head but mm -hmm. the assistants the volunteers as well because those are the people you're going to battle with for the next four years absolutely you know, what was it that coach wallace coach bernstein did to make you feel comfortable becoming a georgia bulldog they honestly when they reached out to me they just they made me feel like my skill set was was super valued and for me that's always self-deprecation is kind of a common theme and so to have people that were there willing to back me up and say look no you're good you've done this you've done this you've you've worked for this like you will fit you're the piece we've been missing type thing like it, it was just kind of as annoying as it might seem it's little reassurances like that for someone like me who like I said anxiety prone that type of thing those little those little things go a really long way and so it was it was pieces like that they they followed my tournaments drake came up when i won atlanta the second year um 
I'm not going to name drop, but I, the second year I had, I had some big W's over some people that are doing very well on the tour right now. And, you know, they were there for that. And they really just kind of made me feel like, like I was what they needed. And, and I think at the time that was what I needed to feel. Well, since you brought up Atlanta, we're going to do uh, a quick aside. Now you, you brought it on yourself. So Westoff, if you could cue the trivia sound effect, please. So, Kennedy, you, you talk about some of those nice wins in the Atlanta IPFs. <laughs> I'm going to test your knowledge a little bit. We're going to play a little game of Alex's trivia. I want to ask you, we're going to first start with 2013, and we'll, we'll oh, fire geez. through this real quick because I'm sure you and I are, or maybe only me is the only one who cares if you get these <laughs> answers. Uh, let's start in the quarterfinal round of that year in singles. You know, you come through qualifying, win this event. Do you remember who you played in the, in the quarterfinals? Was it Maddie Potoff? No, the reason I want to ask you is because she is someone who is now a part of the Georgia program. Wait. Wow, I feel stupid. <laughs> she is the current volunteer coach. Or maybe oh they just my have God, the same Mary, name. That's right. Ah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> ah. I think, was Maddie the round before that, maybe? Maddie was the round before Oh, my bad, GC. That's what I'm telling you. No, it's like, you you're lose on the right it, track. You lose and it sticks with you and you win and it's so irrelevant. <laughs> you, like, forget that it happened. Oh, for sure. Well, that was quarterfinals. I just wanted to ask that because it was Georgia-related. We'll skip ahead. Oh, semifinals, finals. Can you name the two? It was, I think semis was Luisa Stefani. That's correct. And do you remember the score I, for bonus points? Oh, why do I want to say two and three, but I don't think that was it. We'll give it to you three and two. Shoot. <laughs> well done. And then the final, you got to remember this. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. It was it was CC Bellis. Who, again, I'm not <laughs> trying to name drop, but that might have been my prime. I might have peaked then. I think it was 3-1, maybe 40-30 in the game. I don't know. But like, you have to understand that when she was... You know, when she wasn't hurt and she was doing so well, I totally in my head was like, I don't care if it was to retire. That was my claim <laughs> to fame. That was my golden I, hour. No, extra bonus points for you for remembering the game score. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. Well, then let's go to the next year, 2014. You defend your title. We'll go quarterfinals, semifinals, finals again. You remember the three? Okay, let me work through this. Quarterfinals. <laughs> Kayla Day, quarterfinals. Well done. I think you're going to get all of these. Drake Four and two there. in that round. Yeah, I remember Drake was there. Second round, or semis was Bianca Andreescu, who hats off because, wow, she's having a great year and she's doing super well. So we're happy for all these people. I'm like, I'm so here for everyone else's success. I'm kind of like that that person that like my success doesn't mean you can't succeed. I am all here for like boosting up my fellow sisters. I love it. Oh, no, I love it as well. Well, then in the final, you remember this one? I do. It's Abby Jasenikoff, and I remember this because I hadn't beaten her for a long time. I don't know why I couldn't. I just couldn't get over the hump. Again, it wasn't because she, you know, like I'm not saying that because she wasn't good. It just was such a mental block with me that I think it was one in six. Is that right? Two and six. <laughs> no, I'm really impressed. This is really well done. I haven't had someone do this well in a while, so I appreciate it. <laughs> Embarrassing the, because I peaked those two years, so <laughs> no, I, well, I'll never forget I, them. Uh, the reason I like to ask this question is because I really think tennis, being an individual sport, we talked about players have to be a little bit crazy. But you remember <laughs> moments like this. You remember the people you matched up against in the biggest matches that you've played. I do, and I, I remembered it because as I've probably mentioned several thousand times, um, <laughs> self-deprecation is always my, my tendency. And it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things that it's like, 
it's good and it's bad. It's good because it kind of pushes you to a, a level of like perfection seeking, even though perfection is not really you know possible. But it, it pushes you to get there. And then the, the downside is that all you do is like rip yourself. So when I did well, occasionally they stuck out a little more because I was constantly prone to like basically calling myself a loser. <laughs> no, look, it only took us 20 minutes to get to the philosophy section of this podcast where we're talking, is perfection possible? So I'm happy we got there eventually. Oh, um, it was going to come out sooner or later. <laughs> exactly. Well, getting to your transition to college, you talk about just you know seeking perfection. Every college student wants to do so many things uh, from the get-go when they get on campus. And I imagine as an athlete on campus, it's that much harder because you have such a rigorous schedule of tennis you have to maintain as well. Was that transition hard for you going in, you know, getting accustomed to that type of schedule? It definitely was. And part of it was my academy. When I went to Avon's academy, it was very small. And like, we had our set schedule, but it was kind of like our world. We we had a lot of control over it. And then you, you go into this environment where you kind of are like a little fish in a big pond. You get swallowed up and you it, it's very overwhelming and it's very easy to get lost. And as, as somebody who, again, it just it flows out of me. I, I, I just have no filter. Super ADHD, like control is something that I'm always like wanting to have because... I always feel like everything is out of my control. And so you go into college and Georgia's campus is just so overwhelmingly large. And uh, it it was, it was definitely a tough transition for me. But uh, I had coaches and teammates that, you know, like I I firmly believe the Georgia program is this, this principle is what they're founded on is, is making incoming freshmen and, and everybody really feel like family. So I had coaches and, and people that went out of their way to make sure I, I didn't feel like this little fish in this big pond. I felt like I belonged. And I just remember I got lost my first day. The bus is super <laughs> confusing. And I was trying to get to practice. And I ended up getting lost on the way from my physical. And I was crying on the phone. And Drake, uh, Drake had to redirect me there. And <laughs> They, they kind of laugh it off. And here I'm thinking, like, my first day, I miss practice. I'm such a loser. They're not going to want anything to do with me. And I get there, and they're cracking up laughing. They're like, all right, it's all good. Just meet the team in the weight room. It's fine. And I'm thinking, like, I the world is ending. This is it. So. Yeah, no, I apologize for laughing. I had a similar experience. I remember it was welcome week my freshman year. And I'm, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Michigan's campus. But yes. they have central campus and then north campus. And I lived on north campus my freshman year. And there may have been extenuating circumstances for my state of mind, but I got <laughs> so lost. Like, I was three blocks away from anywhere relevant one night. Oh, and I just remember thinking to myself, like, oh, my God. Like, and, and you look back your senior year and you're like, well, actually, I wasn't that far. Like, I was actually just, like, two houses over. Literally. And it's just so – yeah, and it's so funny how that transition works, how you get to know uh, that college. But I, I need to ask, you go to a huge school in Georgia. Do you remember your first football weekend? You know what? Everybody in the world is going to not like me for saying this, but, like, football football is not my thing. Like, <laughs> as cool as it is, it's great. You know, it's one of those things where you have to experience, and it's, it's the coolest feeling. I'm, like, I was more fired up for the basketball games, even though our, our football team was certainly doing better. Um, I was more fired up to be in Stegman. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. 
I don't really know if I can tell you about my first game because <laughs> I don't think I do remember one time I fell asleep on like the benches or the because <laughs> I was just like not thrilled. Um, so I can't oh. tell you that I remember, but it was never really like what no, that's, to me. <laughs> that's that's totally fair. Everyone finds their own niche, and I, I know for you in particular, you started I believe in January of 2015, yep. and so you know you're you're coming in in the winter. I want to ask you know first of all when you're playing your first match in Dan McGill in your first couple weeks at school, what is that like? I could go two ways with this story. I could tell you. <laughs> That my, I, I want them both. Okay, I that's want them fine. Both. You'll get both then. My very first ever college match was at Baylor. And, of <laughs> course, it came down to me. Bad luck. And uh, I ended up losing, what was it, 6-7, six, 7-6, seven, seven, six, seven. And it was an exciting match, right? And I cramped, and all the people at Baylor were ripping me because I was a freshman. And so it was probably, to this day, I'll never forget it. I know who I played. I remember every moment of it most traumatic experience of my life so that was a really rough welcome into college i was like super excited to play and then like all these older guys at baylor are just just ripping me like (laughs) and i consider myself like mentally mentally tough and and i literally i was almost in tears they were they were just because i'm cramping right and they're like yeah ripping me ripping me that's 2015? That was, yeah, my very first ever yeah. college match. <laughs> that Baylor team had a couple 35-year-olds, if I remember correctly. <laughs> so, yeah, that is quite – because that's where NCAAs was your freshman year, It right? was, yeah, when we made Final Four. Yeah. yeah, and so I can only imagine what it's like going into that. But still, you, you join a Georgia team. I think at some point in the year, all six of, six of you singles players were ranked in the top 120. I think so. Uh, and it's just, what is it like to make it? I, I mean, I know you were a highly ranked recruit. I know you had success in the juniors. But what's it like when you jump onto a team where the expectations are that high right away? It's kind of like, I think I remember being starstruck. I, I, I knew that in juniors I had done okay. I was never, you know, I was never the, the standout in juniors. I just didn't have the consistent results. There was, you know, flashes of potential and whatnot. But I really didn't go in expecting to play. Um, I just think that, you know, you push yourself and you want to play and you work to play. But if anybody really goes in thinking like their spot is set, that that's just such a that's that's such a bad mindset to have because it just doesn't work like that. And so I, I remember just being, you know, starstruck by all these people that had been there. They've done that, you know, despite there's actually quite a few freshmen. So I take that back. That statement is not entirely accurate, but everybody was so good. And I just remember thinking I came from juniors and, and the people that came in, um, even the freshman class, they had all had like ITF experience or US or, or Grand Slam juniors experience. And here I am. And I only played like five ITFs in my entire junior career. <laughs> Literally. I don't, I don't think maybe even four. I don't yeah, want to well, say that and be wrong, but uh, I, I definitely <laughs> felt like the, uh, the weakest link by far. I promise Alex's trivia is over. I'm not going to hold you to whether <laughs> it's four give or you five. anything else from there. Yeah. I have no idea. But getting back to part two of your story, you know, now you're playing Samford. Now you're playing Auburn opening weekend, I think, at, at in Georgia. Um, what is it like when you get to walk onto those courts? Because for people who don't know, you know, those are probably the finest courts and the most memorable courts in college tennis history. I would have to agree with you, and I know that I'd be biased by saying that I think NCAA <laughs> should be there every single year because I'm from Georgia, but I've spoken to so many people who are not who think that it should be too, and so, like, you know, going forward off that thought, it, 
you get, I get chills. Like I would get chills every match I would walk out there because there's just no matter who you play, no matter what time, there are people there and they're so invested and they they sit in the stands and you've never met them before and you've never seen their faces, but they know your name, they know your nickname, they know your you know, it's like they know the name of your dog too. I mean, they just know <laughs> everything about you and they're so invested in your success that like you cannot help but feel like you owe it to them to be to be great. You know, you owe it to the program and the the past players and the coaches and everybody else who works so hard, strength and conditioning. You know, there's so many people that put in so much time and effort and you get on those those courts and under those lights at night in that facility and you just kind of feel like you're on top of the world. It doesn't matter if you're on court one or six or even if you're up in McCorder. You know, those people, they just make you feel so important. And, you know, now you don't, I'm not saying that having a big head is great, but I'm telling you, when they make you feel like that, there's, there's nothing in the world that compares to, to walking out there in, in front of that crowd. NCAAs 2017 in Athens, when um, Elena and I played the quarters of doubles, I, there was, I think there was over, I could be wrong, but I think there's over 2,000 people watching our one doubles match, and, and they That's all know crazy. your name, and we got a standing O, even though we lost, um, which is super painful, but <laughs> those people just have a way of making you feel like, like, you, like you matter so much. Well, and I, and I have to ask because you go eighteen and six your freshman year in dual matches and singles, have so much success early on. Do you do you think you know your game? Or I mean, it's easy to say. Hopefully, the answer to this is yes. I guess this is a, this is a softball for you. But was your game just suited for that environment? You think this is that's the environment you thrive the most? I think so. In the beginning, I definitely think so. It's it's so new and it's so novel, and I've just kind of uh, depending on the day, I'm kind of a firecracker. Um, you know, that, that doesn't always apply, but most times it does. And so to be able to get into it and really, I had worked so hard to kind of like keep myself like more inward. Cause I was always afraid of my, uh, my, like, I, I'm very like, my emotional spectrum is very large. Um, there's, there's uh, <laughs> extreme, I should say. So when I got to actually just kind of let it go and let myself be who I wanted to be with all those people. And it was a proper environment. You know, it, it was just the greatest feeling. And I think I it did well with that in the beginning and definitely my sophomore year better. Cause I had learned like what was too extreme and, and what wasn't enough. But as I got older and I kind of started to transition, try to at least to transition to the tour and, and tennis feels more like a classy sport. I think I struggled to find that balance more, but in the beginning I felt like college tennis was my home. It was what I had been waiting for my whole life. No, I, and I'm just so you know, I'm keeping notes for the next time we do this podcast for my intro, and next time it'll be Kennedy Schaefer, Can't Dance, Firecracker. No and I'm rhythm, for the ADHD, third. <laughs> emotional spectrum that is extremely... No, of course, not to, no, not to make light of your answer, but just so you know, I'm that's not why offended. I was a little... Don't worry, it takes a lot to offend me. <laughs> oh, okay, well then, as we keep going, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, you um, don't have to apologize, trust me. I've heard it all. <laughs> Cool. Well, then, I, I mean, again, you're thrown onto a team that makes the semifinals of NCAAs. What, what do you remember about that run? And just what do you remember taking away from your first year of college tennis? I can tell you every minute of every day for those couple of days. <laughs> I, I remember playing Krista Hardebeck for us to make the semifinals for the first time since 2009. And I had had like eight match points and I could not close it out. And I was so scared i actually thought i was gonna vomit um 
I actually think that I might have partially thrown up in my mouth, and I don't say that to be disgusting. I say that because the nerves were like so Real. paralyzing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I will never forget Match Point either because I've seen it on video. I'm super <laughs> lame, and I, I saved the video to my phone, and it's definitely in my vault of uh, things to never forget. But I actually, uh, so after I finished that match and we won that match, I tore a ligament in my back. And so when we played UCLA the next day, I couldn't move and I got absolutely spanked. So <laughs> it was pretty miserable to be out there. And I actually, I played Catherine Harrison and uh, she's one of my very good friends now. But I remember thinking during that match, gosh, this chick's intense. Uh, <laughs> and I cannot move and this is embarrassing and I just want us to win, but I can't move right now. And so it, that was... Uh, that was definitely a low that night. I just, I remember taking away from that run that the team was super capable of doing great things. Then to, to cap it all off, unfortunately, the negative tends to outweigh the positive. And I just remember thinking, you know, I've ruined this. I can't compete. My back is terrible. And, you know, I, I threw away a spot and I, I couldn't help like I wanted to. Well, it's crazy looking back at these lineups. Jennifer Brady is playing three, three singles for that UCLA. Yeah, that is incredible. Absurd, I know. <laughs> I mean, but it's like it makes sense yeah. given the context how good Robin Anderson was oh, that Robin year. Was Chanel a Van Wyn. Stud. They were both studs. Yeah. The whole team was great. And Jenny, when I look back, and I and I don't know Jenny, so it's not like I can say this as, as a friend. But Chanel and Robin are both good friends of mine. And I just sit there and I think, why the hell? Was Jenny Brady playing three? Uh, I think Sylvia played her, and Sylvia got off the court, and she was just like, "That was a joke. That wasn't even funny." <laughs> she wasn't like she no. wasn't wrong. It was just ridiculous. No, that team was absolutely stacked, and you know, I, I do want to ask you because you touched on something. You talked about the intensity of Catherine Harrison, and I think, <laughs> you know, well, I'm uh, not about her specifically. You know, sorry, Catherine, if that was a weird question, but <laughs> just I was I was at the national indoors this weekend for the men in Chicago, and I, you know, when you watch college tennis, the thing that sticks out the most is just the energy at the matches, absolutely. the competitiveness on each and every court, the fact that you know, I'd make a case that the doubles point in college is the single the, most exciting yes. yeah. like in all of tennis because you have three courts all next to each other everyone's screaming there's always <laughs> going on you know it's just it really is a fun time and so i guess my question to you is i mean what is that like you know it, I, how much of it is manufactured by the coaches who say guys i want to hear you all screaming on every court how much is it, it teammates in the locker room saying hey we're a team let's be loud you know how how does all of the, you know what's it like just playing in that environment too a big question there yeah and it's you know what i want to tell you that there's a concrete answer to that and i wish i i could but i think it's so different depending on each program you go to so like for me for example we are always super into the go dogs and being loud and being energetic. So it was always manufactured by the coaches and, and manufactured by other teammates. But then I think that was just the starting point. Once it, it was manufactured and it had its place there, it was just so natural. And, and it felt like you weren't doing it right. If you weren't fully invested and, I think some of the matches I remember where we weren't as loud, I can specifically remember it playing a huge part. We, we just didn't, we didn't do as well. And so sometimes it felt like too much because like I was always trying to work on being a little more calm and even tempered because volatility is sometimes I'm prone to that too. But I will, I will forever remember like some of my best memories from that were 
when we were all in a line together, doubles point, especially, I, I agree with you hundred percent. The doubles point was, was always like, it was the coolest feeling ever. And so I will, I will always say that intensity and, and that energy, whether it has to be manufactured or whether it occurs naturally, it's one of the biggest, biggest pieces to the puzzle because if you guys aren't invested in, in each other and in your school and in the pride that you have for the program, you know, what are you doing there? It's just college tennis is, I, I feel like in my opinion, if your interests are entirely selfish, it will never work out for you. Um, I, you know, that probably sounds like a super common sense idea and, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe it is, but back to Georgia, the philosophy hour. Yeah. You know, at Georgia, <laughs> it was just something that we focused so much time and energy on. So, I, I would say that that was, if not one of, you know, the biggest piece. And I think that's probably why the team, one of the reasons why the team is doing so well, because I look at, I, I look at, I follow the social media and these girls are so invested in their, their pride for the school and each other. And it shows. And I think that's why you go see them win a, a national championship. So that's just something that Georgia focuses on. And it's just something I think that separates us from other programs. That's yeah, a long I answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. Much like you said for me, never apologize. We're, our listeners want to hear you. They want to hear your oh, thoughts. You know, it. you live through it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, then, I, I do want to ask this about you – know, I could talk about every individual match because, to me, it's still interesting. But I'm sure our listeners don't want to hear that. No, I don't One think of the they bi- do. <laughs> yeah. Well, unless you want to go back to that I- Atlanta ITF. So, at 1-2 with CC Bells, was it like a tweak in the hamstring? What was what? it? No, it was. Now, I could tell you. I could literally tell you if you want to know. I remember it because I was like, this is probably the only tournament I'm ever really going to win. So I'm going to I'm gonna lock this into the memory vault and never forget it. It's <laughs> hilarious. No, but I, I do want to ask, uh, you know, your freshman year, they still played double sets to eight. They still had ad scoring, I believe, um, you know, still played two out of three set matches. And then the scoring format switches. What is that adjustment like for just all of the players on the team? Does it changes the things the coaches emphasize? What does that transition look like? Okay. This is about to be an unfiltered rant. Is this uh, where you're about to swear? I just need I'm to know for editing purposes. No, you know what? I'm going to hold this together. Don't worry. Uh, I'm trying to be presentable. You know, you can't always run your mouth. I absolutely despise no ad scoring, and I think six game sets and doubles is just crap. Uh, six games is not enough time to get settled into a match and you know whatever they can argue that you need to be ready to go all the time blah 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 okay crap don't i don't care it doesn't work like that and and no ad is just it doesn't oh gosh i could rant forever i my senior year again i i said (laughs) i know i'm getting off topic because i'm getting so heated uh my senior year i played a match where i lost 11 out of 12 deuce points that is literally <laughs> 11 out of the 12 games that she won. And I know that, again, that's a common sense statistic, but holy crap, that's a match. I mean, obviously, takeaway from that is I needed to play big points better. I'm not stupid. <laughs> I totally get that. But if I could, you know, if I had a dollar for every game I won after saving like 10 deuce points, you know, and then, and then getting one ad and taking a game, I'd be a billionaire. <laughs> I mean, I just, I'm not a, I'm not a first deuce point player. And again, maybe that's something that I have a problem with and I need to work on. And I'm sure it is, but <laughs> oh, I just don't believe in no ads. I just don't think that it's, it's, oh, 
you know, I almost think it faults the player that takes a chance because chances don't always pay off. But then you've got another <laughs> ad to save your butt. And, oh, gosh, I'm trying to contain it now. But I just no, I don't th- like it. I, I just don't think that it's – I think that tennis is a sport for the players. It's not a sport for the fans. And I think our fans loved it just as much when we played at points. Okay, so as a fan, I mean, as a former player, long retired, hairline, a, a rat, train wreck turned fan, I, I'm going to disagree with you of slightly, slightly, of slightly. So the integrity of the sport. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate that. No, the integrity of the sport is not compromised, and or, or sorry, is compromised in my opinion. When you go no ad, obviously there are days, you know, at a much lower scale. I played club tennis in college. The format was no ad scoring. There are days when the ad, the deuce points just don't go your way. It's well, a fact. I, I and, know that. You know, yeah, and like that <laughs> sucks. Like I completely agree with you. It's horrible, and that is true. But. College tennis, there's there's a fun stat that I'm repeating, and if it's wrong, I'm sorry. I don't have the article in front of me, but of all the non-revenue sports in in uh, all uh, throughout college athletics, so not football, not basketball, not baseball or softball. I think those are all revenues, but everything else. Tennis has the highest retention rate of its fans. Does meaning, it really? Yeah, and, and just for our listeners who don't know, meaning if you go to a college tennis match, you are more likely to go to another college tennis match than a fan of any other college sport is of returning to that event. And I think, you know, this is me going on a big rant here, but part of the reason I think that is the excitement of the doubles point, the excitement of a no-ad scoring, that a match really can turn on two or three points because the margins are that yeah, thin. Absolutely. Is that much more enticing for fans and look college tennis matches used to be five <laughs> hours and like i'll stay you'll <laughs> yeah, stay because you're, you're a playing. diehard yeah That's yeah a and point. like but it's and like it's like now you know a really good match is the most intense draining three hours and it's like you can commit three hours to if it's that intense throughout but the average match you know usually never more than two two and a half hours and that really is more appealing to a fan and i again i know college serving as a development uh, or as a place to develop for the pros if you're doing no ad scoring does that hurt a player you could argue yes you could also argue no they play big points that much better after playing no ad and I, and I get all of those arguments I just think the no ad element one you see that on the professional level in doubles but two it just adds that extra chance of an upset of something interesting happening at any given moment yeah. and as a fan that's what you want to see and realistically like I'm not so uh, stubborn well, not always so stubborn where I don't like to see. I, I actually, I do agree with you. And so like from a, from a standpoint, I, I would, I can see that, like, I would say the diehards would stay and love it. And yeah, they probably would, but you are right. The people that stop by for the t-shirt and then say, Hey, let me stick around. You know, it, it's exciting when things like that change. So I, I definitely think you're right on that. And I, I think that, you know, it's not as much as college is, is kind of turning into a pathway for the pros. It's not, like there's more people I feel like than not that go to college to go to college not because they want to play pro so the no ad you know the argument that well I want to play pro so that's not what it's like on singles or in singles you know I agree actually it's not quite relevant because this is not the set the set pathway for the pros and so again one aspect I totally agree with you I think from the loser aspect of of being on you know being on the losing side of the 11 sure. out of 12 deuce points I, uh, it's a little, I'm a little bitter and, uh, yeah, well, I, I think <laughs> one point you made and I'm, uh, you know, I'm sorry for quoting you, but I just, I really want to harp in on that point. Cause I think it's really well said 
the tennis is for the players. They're the one playing the sport. And so, you know, if unanimously across all of these levels of tennis, there is opposition to this no ad format. They say, you know, it's bullshit. The best team doesn't always win, and that's stupid. Why would we play if that's going to be the case? And if that's, in, you know, if we could take a survey of players and that's what they say, well, then we really should, you know, revisit. I remember back in the day, Mitchell Frank, a couple others did kind of pioneer some sort of opposition to it. But you know, some college tennis players you talk to go the exact opposite yeah, way, right? And maybe they, they've just been on the winning side, but it's just, they're like, it's that much more thrilling, you know? Yeah. It's, you can throw away a game and it and it hurts that much more and it's that much more And I do agree with that because being in the stands, you know, and watching it, you're like, oh, God, this is it. This is it. So, like, <laughs> it is, you know, and then it, it's, it's a very cool feeling, actually, to know that so much rides at one point. But then you get on the court and you're shaking when you're trying to throw the ball and you're like, oh, God, this is it. So it's got that that aspect of, of you know, it, it feel like it just depends on your mood that day. And I know that's, again, not a concrete answer, but some days you love the deuce points because you're just feeling it. And other days you're like, I couldn't win one if my <laughs> life depended on it, which, again, not speaking. Oh, no. Yeah, I am speaking from experience. So <laughs> it's, you know, I think it it does help you learn to play the big points better and, and you can't throw away and waste opportunities. But then on the flip side, the days when you really just cannot get your hands on an opportunity, it really blows. Yeah, no, I, I totally feel that. And I, one of my stupid theories, yeah, we'll call it uh, stupid for stupid. sure. Stupid, there's no stupid. Well, actually, I'm not going to say that, but I'm sure if, it's not stupid. Okay, if perfection is impossible, then there are absolutely stupid theories. Like, the two <laughs> are very correlated. Um, But one of my stupid things I would love to see, you know, two out of three sets versus three out of five is a huge debate at the yeah. Grand Slams. And for me, let's go three out of five sets, but let's make it no-ad scoring in the first week. We're worried about all of these timing well let's throw a wrench into it let's make it no ad matches are a little quicker bigger chance for upsets maybe you can go back to ad scoring in the second week but i like it i used to be very you know i used to be a traditionalist then i went to college michigan's a liberal school it loosens you up to all these new perspectives and i suppose that's what did it but i like the no ad scoring now i know this is a wacky transition but at one point during that uh, discussion you mentioned college or I guess we both mentioned college is a pathway to the pros and I want to ask you you know I'm going to take our listeners back to July 19th 2016 through July 24th 2016 to Evansville Indiana where <laughs> Kennedy Schaefer <laughs> coming off of her sophomore season ends up winning a $10,000 event uh, you know to have that sort of result while in college some players might see it as a sign of okay I'm ready to go to the pros now for you you did not make that decision you ended up coming back uh, for two more seasons at Georgia was there any we can get into that event specifically in a second but was there any consideration after that result of oh maybe my game is ready there definitely there was some there was some thought into it but ultimately and, uh, you know, like I, like I said, I'm very open, and so I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Um, but, I, I, like I said, I've had, a, I've had an issues with anxiety for an ADHD for a long time, and it's it's very difficult to uh, to manage playing on the tour and, and being alone and doing that a lot by yourself when I felt like I really, despite having a good result, I really wasn't in a good place with everything. And so I kind of felt like I needed 
a little bit more support. So I went and I won that tournament and then I lost first round of qualities the next tournament. And I got like my first ever hate message. And I just was like, <laughs> I can't do this. I'm so not ready for this. Right now. <laughs> and it was like, shameful. it was terrible English. It was like, shameful your match. Quit tennis. No good tennis Jesus. anymore. And I, was, I was like, wow, okay, I'm never going to forget this message. So, so that's a re- I mean, I know you see examples of it on Twitter, but how real is that? Uh, oh, you know, how horrid. often are you getting feedback from um, gamblers? Yeah, no, it happens a lot. And you know what? It's kind of funny for me to say this because I feel like I've not yet achieved the level at which it, it consistently happens. Um, but I have gotten some serious death threats. Um, Oh my god! I have gotten that. I hope, like you know, names that I can't even repeat to you uh, that I've been called <laughs> that they hope my mom gets cancer and Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it's so. Uh, it's and like I said, I don't. I don't even feel like I'm at the highest level where I'm, I'm getting it every single time. So again, very open. But uh, 2019 has not started off nearly what I would like it to be, and then uh, had some had some issues in my last match and it's I'm not going to sit here and say that I didn't expect to win but I also played some loose ranked higher right and I terrible match I'm just going to call it terrible match and uh, I got a death threat after that in Greek and I was like girls you know three something I'm five something played two turn that's my second tournament all year uh, again not making excuses it was super There's- poor and then I'm like, there's no in- arguing with those people though. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, you're f***ing insane. Like get over it. <laughs> I've never responded to one. I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, I'm a firm believer in, you know, I have tempted as I've been and a firm believer in just kind of letting it go, even though that doesn't do much, but it just, if I can kind of like get rid of the thought or at least like shove it away, then maybe I can like delude myself into thinking it didn't happen. No, definitely. And that was a, that was a down topic. So let's get back to $10,000 Evansville. Let's have a little more fun. Definitely make You talk about some of the, yeah, I mean, some of the wins you had in this tournament, Sophia Zook, you beat her seven, six in the third, Whitney, you beat my fellow Michigan Wolverine, Amina Betkust in three sets in the final. Just (laughs) when you win an event like that, how does it help your confidence? Well, you know, I felt like I was on top of the world for a hot second until <laughs> I went and lost first round the next tournament. But uh, it was it was one of those results that, and I think most people, well, I guess not unless you're like the big four or you're consistently winning everything. <laughs> it's super unexpected. You don't think it's going to happen, and you you don't know how you get through the matches. Like I remember. I full body cramped against Sophia and I actually tore part of my calf in that match. And then I, um, I beat Whitney again, not name dropping, trying not to, please. Um, played super well that match. We all do it. You don't I need know, to apologize. I don't, I don't want to do that. That's super bad. Okay. But-, but what I do, our, the producer of this show, Max Fliegner, I, I'm not sure if you know him, um, another Michigan guy who I grew up with. Uh, he beat Francis Tiafo in the 14s oh and I, and I brag on his behalf. I'm like, dude, we beat Tiafo. Like, come on. So Literally. I totally understand. <laughs> yeah. yeah so. And then I played Carrie Wong in the semis and I got heat stroke and the trainer was going to have me retire. Um, Cause I was walking in a circle and I didn't know what the score was. And, uh, I don't remember how I got through that one, but it, it was one of those tournaments where, like, it just, I didn't expect it. I didn't think it was going to happen. It just was, like, survive and advance type mindset, and I, I just think that's a better mindset for each event. I went in with no expectations, and it, it paid off. My, my mom and my coach actually drove up for the finals, and usually when they do that, I lose because um, naturally – 
so excited <laughs> that someone took the time to come watch that I get nervous and I yeah, screw it up, but I actually want to match. And um, I I just remember thinking, wow, maybe pro is possible. I know it's not, you know, like I've won junior Wimbledon or anything, but it's a step in the right direction. And my coach would, would, was emphasizing that, you know, some people play their whole careers without winning a tournament. And I know that it's just a $10,000 event. It's not anything crazy. But then I thought about it and, you know, and it's kind of true. A lot of people who were great pros still, some of them walk out and they never they never win a title so i i try to i keep the big deck it's still in my living room um i'll <laughs> probably frame that in my house one day but i i try to not dwell on that time as much anymore because i sometimes i feel like i've gone backwards and other times you feel like you've made great strides but at least when i am buried one day i'll have that to my name and you know what <laughs> i might be buried with the big check i don't know Oh, I would. I promise. I'll make sure it's in there for you. Uh, we was, <laughs> it, needs a to watch out for me. Yeah, exactly. But you talk about the big check. First of all, those things are the most entertaining things. I know that makes me sound like a child, but I'm so no, like in so awe. They're so cool. Yeah, and so in Cleveland, uh, we were there for the Cleveland Challenger, and uh, the guy who won Cressy wasn't going to be allowed to keep the big check because it was, you know, it was just nothing, and he's a college player still. So That's all these things awesome. and. And I literally begged for like 30 seconds. I was like, please, just let me take it home. Like, let me frame it. Obviously, I can't cash it. Like, I, I know I didn't win, but just I want one of these. And I was rebuked. I was told, no, you, you can't do that. Uh, so I feel. Oh. Yeah, my dad was like, I'm going to throw this away. I said, don't you put it unless you're moving it to a picture frame on the wall. It's not going anywhere. I'm just saying, if if you want to, you know, give that away, I'd be happy I'd to be accept happy, it you know as what? a donation. I'd be happy to donate. If you, like, get a Sharpie and you scratch my name out, you can put your own name. Uh, well, uh, no, if if you sign it, we'll auction it off for charity because someone out there like me will also want it and we'll figure well, out something. Well, I think maybe if we fake sign someone else's name, you'll get more, you'll get farther <laughs> with, like, chari- somebody for charity. I don't think, uh, I'm not uh, sure that anybody's going to want a sign check from, as of now, a one-hit wonder. <laughs> first of all there are definitely people crazier out there than me who'd be like oh my god a check signed by kennedy schaefer i'm so in too if you find if that, anybody if not- let me know because that sounds like a friend that i might need right now no we can also find someone stupid enough to think oh my god they're giving me a check for thirty-five thousand. i only have to pay 200 i'm in and it's like well <laughs> jokes on you they can have uh, all 1578 dollars that i make that barely touched my expenses because i got stuck there for 10 days and I can't do qualities. So as cheap <laughs> as I am, and I have to be because I'm, I money is not my strong suit. I am not rolling in cash. It just barely covered my expenses for the ten days. Well, there are a million questions I want to ask you, but we're already at the 55-minute mark. I oh want to be gosh. conscious of your time. I know. It's just been a ton of fun, and I'm, I'm not saying that just to keep you on the line. I really have enjoyed this episode. I haven't talked to, uh, like, a friend in a long time, so. A friend? Oh my kind God. of a loner. I'm blushing. I mean, I'm, I'm really f- I'm flattered. Um, God, what was I going to say? Well, oh, my gosh. <laughs> You're making me look like Jolie Kissel out here. I just see the name Kissel. So, uh, sorry, that was a bad joke. Um, okay, getting back to what I wanted to ask you. You, you, I got it. I remember. So you talked, you know, about facing with, you know, dealing with full body cramps. You had an issue after your freshman year in your back. You now have, you've had ankle issues so much so that you now you know, are partnered with an ankle company. Quite literally, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and I'm not trying to rip on you. You no. know, you're, you, maybe this is your grandma tendencies coming back to bite you. But uh, yeah, I guess what I'm really asking is, how, how frustrating is it to deal with that constant nagging injury? Because what people don't realize, tennis being a full year sport, you know, you always need to have your A game anytime you sign up for a tournament. So just how difficult is it to find a rhythm? And then the counter to that, though, is you know, does it make you stronger mentally when you have to go through adversity like that? I tell you what, and I'm going to try and put this like softly. This sport is not kind. Um, and it's not kind to us. You know, you lose more than you win. You struggle more than you feel like you prosper. At least I guess when I call, you know, I call it kind of minor leagues, at least in, in the situation that I'm in right now. Um, you know, I, I actually, I have a spondy in my back, so I have a crack in my vertebra. Um, so that will never heal. So every day is back pain. You know, that's frustrating. I, when I was in Canada in October, I slipped on ball fuzz and that's, I tore part of my Achilles. Yeah. It's these little things that, that stuff like this, that kind of makes you feel like, geez, maybe I shouldn't bother with this. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's my body or, you know, maybe it's something I'm doing wrong and more often than not, it's super frustrating, especially in these these levels where we're just kind of minuscule compared to what the top is. Of course, you know, and I'm not saying that we should be any more prioritized than top 20, because obviously if you're top 20, you're great and you're there for a reason. Um, but, but what a lot of people I feel like don't know is how much of a struggle it really is and how much it does beat you up. I think there's so much mental strength that comes out of it. And I'm hoping that one day, whether it's tennis or with a job or my family, whatever the future holds that, you know, anytime there's a wrench in the plan, it's not going to feel so tough because of, because of what this is right now. And, you know, it's the injuries, it's, it's money. It's uh, it's, it's the mental health aspect that a lot of people don't talk about, but all these things are so very prominent and I, I know I'm not the only person going through it. Like I work to pay for all my tournaments. I'm teaching tennis, nice and cliche tennis player teaching tennis, but oh, uh, it's, we've all done it. Yeah. When we all, I feel like we all have to we have no <laughs> choice, but um, it, it's little things like this that kind of make you feel like, am I wasting my time? Or at least maybe I'm the only one, but sometimes the little injuries make you feel like that. And, you know, I had a good month in October and, it, and there's that one month that is like, a flare of hope you're like wow okay wait maybe i was being over dramatic all this time maybe this isn't so unrealistic but then you know for i only i'm referencing my own struggle whatever because that's all i know but then the first two tournaments of the year hit me and, and everything went south first what it was supposed to and then you're like okay you know maybe october doesn't matter because this is so bad right now so again long story short uh there's, there's more struggle. There's what feels like more struggles than triumphs. But I think one day I'm telling myself at least, you know, one day working my butt off to pay for this and to, to go through this and to get stranded at airports when my rental car reservations fall through all this stuff is, is prepping me for hopefully a more successful future, you know, no matter what field that is. So that's at least what I have to tell myself each day when I teach the hours, when I, when my back is feeling particularly broken, uh, when money is, is extremely tight and I can't pay to go to other tournaments. No, I, I think one of the things we've appreciated as tennis fans, uh, even with you know social media becoming more prominent, Twitter, Instagram, you look at Noah Rubin's behind the racket. Now I we get love a chance. To, 
Yeah, it, you know, shameless plug for that. I wish it would come under the Crack Rackets mantle, Noah. So if you listen to this, you know, I'm open for business. Um, but yeah, that was again. We're at the hour mark. I'm loose now. I'm ready to go. Um, no, but you, you talk about the mental health aspect and just being a college tennis player. Given that there are so many other former college tennis players out there on tour, I'm curious. Do you guys form a support group to you know amongst players to kind of we're all going through mutual experiences. Let's all talk one another through it. Or is it you know that much more difficult because everyone's traveling to different places at different times and schedules don't always line up? I'd have to probably, in my opinion, at least go with the second one. You know. I um I'm very fortunate right now whereas like everything else feels like it's going wrong I have managed to find a very good group of supportive friends who get that struggle and some of them are going through it themselves and whether it's the money whether it's the mental health like everybody is fighting their own battle and so like me that's kind of the one big thing I guess as somebody who's struggling financially mentally all that um I'm always trying to be very conscious of other people's problems and and what they no, they might be going through. So I'm, I'm always trying to be an ear for somebody who needs it, somebody who needs the help, whoever needs to vent, whoever needs to talk, you know, if anybody hears it, like I'm so here for it because I, I get it. And so a lot of my good friends, um, I, unfortunately with the transition tour changes, I haven't been able to travel with them as much, but, um, you know, if most of the time you're by yourself, so it, you know, people are a phone call or away, a phone call away or whatnot, but it's, it's totally different, you know, being able to talk to someone face to face, sitting in a hotel room, talking about how difficult this is versus sitting in your Airbnb alone, you know, talking about, I can't afford to go to the next tournament type thing, sending a text to someone hoping they understand. So I know I keep giving you roundabout answers, but I think, I'm, I think that people, we just try to find people that are willing to listen to us. And there's not that I'm aware of a big giant group where everybody's like, Hey, this is a prop, you know, can someone help me? Um, I think most of us maybe don't talk about it and that's why it's, it's even more difficult, but I, I know I'm just one person. I'm just trying to bring a little bit more conversation to the mental health aspect of it. Cause I, I've suffered from those issues for a long time and they can be super debilitating. So if, if someone is, needing it or if someone is willing to listen i i just hope everybody realizes what a big difference that makes even if it's one person or if it were to be a group of people if you can find someone that'll help you know it's so important and i think as players and especially as as individuals who are by ourselves a lot we really need to take advantage of that no i I really appreciate your candidness and i think Part of the reason we love having uh, you know players on this podcast is so that we do get to hear their perspectives, learn about some of the dirty details of life on tour, and you know I I, I, I can't let you leave this podcast without asking <laughs> you brought you brought it up and you know I managed to evade this question for an hour, but the the chicken <laughs> cherry on top of everything else on the on the tennis tour that sucks. The ITF transition tour rules changed <laughs> completely this year, throwing everything into chaos. Now, I'm sure you have a good rant in you for this one. What are your thoughts on how these new rules have changed how things go? God, see, the rational being in me tries to see, like, I see where maybe their ideas were coming from in some aspects. But the player in me just thanks God, this was the stupidest idea in a long time. I just, I, I think, like... Oh gosh, 
I, I was my my best friend and I were traveling together. We were playing the sixties together in, in Saguenay and Toronto. And now she's struggling to get to a fifteen k. You know, she's trying to get off to go off to Egypt to play and like. She's so much more talented than that. She was playing the main draw of a 60 in Toronto, you know, a couple months ago, and now she can't get into a tournament. And I, it just, you know, I think, again, no excuses, but, like, you get into a draw, and it feels like the end of the world. Cause I'm 512, I think, and, and I can't even make qualifying. I'm 25K anymore. So on top of the financial pressure, on top of the pressure to – to make it because this is so cutthroat. Now you factor in the, the idea that like, I don't think I'm going to be able to play a tournament until April. And I don't even know if I'll get into anything then because the, these draws are, God, they're just so cutthroat now. So like, I absolutely hate it, but that's just my opinion. No, I think that's totally fair. I also think, and this opinion of mine might just be, you know, being naive because I haven't been watching tennis, you know, since, the, the 80s and 90s and maybe the level has always been this way but it just seems like there are so many good players right now ranked between you know 100 and 500 that can really beat each other on any given day and so with the parity being as it is to make it this much harder to get into events is just stupid I like agree who wins so much. I agree I mean you have you have people that oh god I like I said I could literally rant forever about this but you have people that are are so talented 500 700 whatever that just a can't get into a draw now b can't afford to travel to these places cuz there's so few tournaments now and, and c that it's just like honestly sometimes it, it kills the desire to play like you know, you, you work so hard in qualifying. These draws are so difficult. You're playing people that are 200, 300 in qualifying. And, you know, you lose first round. You're like, well, that was a waste. I just lost money. I just didn't get any points. And you didn't even get a, a chance to play yourself into matches. And I know that, again, we're players, we're athletes. We should be ready to go all the time. But, geez, when you got to play someone who's 200 in the world, first round of qualities versus, like, you know, sometimes you have a chance to work yourself into a match, into a tournament. Like, like you know, in Toronto and Saginaw, I felt like I – the qualifying was difficult, but I, I got a chance to play. And, uh, you know, it's, I just feel like it's so different now. You come, you play someone who's 200 in the world, qualities, and, and I'm just like, okay, there's no room for <laughs> error now. No, I, I agree. And it's that's part of what makes tennis, you know, equal parts frustrating and fascinating because exactly. really anyone can win on any given day. And, you know, I, I promise we will have some fun before I let you go. But the last serious <laughs> topic I'm going to ask you about because it has come up a bunch during this podcast. And, you know, I don't, I don't mean to be uh, intrusive, but you talk about care. finances. And, <laughs> okay, well, then you talk about finances. What is your bank pin? Because I'm a little low on cash right now. Uh, uh, it, no, it does, <laughs> yeah, no, you can have it because there's probably like 20 bucks. Right <laughs> we can, now, we can merge accounts. Now, given that we're friends, we might as well just merge accounts. Yeah, I mean, I mean then the we next, could probably pay next for step. a dinner, maybe, because that's about all my, my – uh, I already made my Fine. phone payment and my cell phone payment, so I'm, uh, I'm sitting real low for the rest of the month. <laughs> Fine, but no guac on your Chipotle bowl. We don't have cash. No, I don't that. add Come extra. On. I don't have those kind of funds. That's a luxury that I feel like I'm not able to afford right now. <laughs> Sorry. This isn't funny. This is a serious it issue. Is I know. Funny, and so, though, but it's, it's yeah. like so serious that you kind of think, like, well, this is just crap, and then you kind of yeah. laugh about it. Which brings me back to the topic. Anyone who follows tennis knows that the paying, the payment, the payments, the 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 money format is just crap. It just is. People aren't <laughs> properly compensated for their level of tennis. You look at the disparity no. between the three hundredth ranked player in 
football, in basketball, in all of these other major sports, compare that to the 200th, 300th ranked player in tennis, and it's a joke. And so it's I'm trash. just curious. Yeah, and you know, I don't, I, you don't need to tell me how, what financial system you would replace it with, but just how difficult is it mapping out events, booking flights, all of these things with the financial restraints that come with being a professional tennis player? You know, I'm not trying to be over dramatic, but sometimes it feels, you know, nearly impossible. Like, and surprise, um, again, it's like a dark spot. So I'm trying not to dwell on it. But they, they had the the player hotel was 190 something dollars a night, and I'm sorry, like, I can't afford that. Yeah, that's I, that's absurd. And I, I ended up my rental car reservation got messed up. I stayed in an Airbnb that was, you know, fifty dollars a night, which is. Again, I, if you're there for a long time, it just is one of those things that starts to add up. So I'm not sure what the answer to to replace it is. I can't say I've played the WTA event. I, I don't know what the systems are different. But I just feel like if we're going to pick a player hotel, keep it close, keep it affordable, because who the hell is going to pay 190 You know, And there's so many people did. That's what baffles me. But who the <laughs> hell can afford $191 a night? Like, no, maybe I'm it's... just more poor than most people. But that just seems ridiculous. Ridiculous. Ankle sponsors aren't paying what they used to. That's, no, that's I'm ridiculous. telling you. You know what? I, I can't. I, I can't find. <laughs> I'm lucky to have a, a nice clothing sponsor. The company's great. They take nice care of me. And I, I, I have a small, very small ankle sponsorship that came through the website Open Sponsorship. But other than that, I am funded by my, uh, my work. Which yeah, no, I'm telling which... you, my paycheck is not very impressive. No, I, I can only imagine how difficult it is. You fly home from surprise and, you know, not yeah, we were talking a little bit to set up this interview. And you're like, well, I have to work every night because I, I have to go to work. And <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, and, yeah, it's like, no, but it's like, you know, yeah, you have to go to We're thinking, oh, go to work. She's got to practice, whatever. No, it's I have to go feed balls for six hours so I can afford my hundred ninety dollar, you know, hotel. Literally, and I just literally and. Yeah, and it's just that's not that should never be a factor of this sport. If you know, any time finances are the reason talents can't can, can't succeed, get to the level they're capable of, that's just so stupid. Yep. Um, and, that is exactly. You know, I, I'm of the same opinion. You know, talent yeah. doesn't discriminate, but financials do. Unfortunately, no, you know, it's. Uh, it's I completely agree, and that's why, last question, we're going to go back to your college, and then I promise I will let you go after we do a little <laughs> bit of rapid fire, have a little bit of fun after we did the serious topics. Uh, and then, I mean, you and I can keep talking offline, but these listeners Are you don't sure to hear you want to give me stories. questions where it's not filtered? I'm sure it, it's really a question about what you want, but, you know, again, last year's question, I promise. You're fine. You talk about the yeah the the financial struggle and just uh, you know how hard it is to put in time to develop and all of these things when you still have to afford to go to tournaments. When you look back on it, you got to play four seasons at Georgia. How beneficial was it to have those assets at your disposal? You know the whole Georgia facility and four players oh. considering going professional. Would you recommend the college route? You know, short of I've won four Grand Slams in the juniors and I'm ready to go pro. <laughs> Right. Uh, that would warrant maybe a different opinion, but I definitely, um, I, I was very fortunate where I went to a school where financials were really never, um, never an issue. Like I, I got a very nice stipend. My scholarship check was great. And so I ended up, I paid for my own car so that I could drive and go all over the place. And so like Georgia funded that basically 
you know, for me. So I think if money is an issue, which it always was money. And I was worried about injuries when I, before I made the decision that again, I wasn't going to go pro because I thought I was the most talented. I was, I was, you know, I was, I was worried about a lot of things, but, um, I definitely think if you're not set in that way, whether it be financially or physically, college can be great. You know, there are strength and conditioning coach there. Um, Katrin, she is, I think that she's probably the single most intelligent lady I've ever met. She, she managed to get us in phenomenal shape and she would work around me having a cracked back and still man, she still manages to develop people and all my workouts and everything. I still take directly from her. So uh, there are so many aspects that came out of, of college that were so great. Um, so I definitely, I encourage that path for people that are not sitting financially great or physically great or you know they don't have a place to go or a plan i think college is definitely it's definitely a great option and especially if you go somewhere where they're going to take care of you as much as, as as everyone did take care of me at georgia i was very fortunate with with that in my college experience a lot of things that were really great um that came out of that still i, I still keep with me to this day you know every everybody's got their their experiences where they you know, wish things could have been a little bit different, but for the most part, I was beyond blessed. I uh, I was very lucky. Yeah, that that's so awesome to hear. Um, it's always great to hear people who've enjoyed their college tennis experience, and it seems like ninety nine point nine percent of student athletes who play college tennis do enjoy their experience. So, uh, you know, any way to promote that sport, I'm, I'm very much a fan of. But I want to end with a rapid fire question. I think one of the best parts about college tennis is you know you're you're spending so much time with your teammates. You can tell how close a lot of these teams are. I'm sure you have some great stories about your teammates that I will try and draw out of you in this segment so I'm going to ask you a little bit about them then you know a little bit about yourself so our listeners can get you know a little bit last information in case they want to follow Kennedy Schaefer so sound good to you all right all right let's start with the fun ones the Georgia ones so again 99.9 percent of your time in college is spent practicing and hanging out with your teammates as opposed to actually playing matches (laughs) you've spent a ton of time with them both on and off the court first question I'll ask you in your four years at Georgia your favorite practice partner was oh gosh are we talking about for fun or for like rhythm or something like that see rapid fire it does very difficult for me (laughs) I was going to say, however you want to answer that question. You have creative integrity. Oh, gosh. Well, see, one of my best friends to come out of there was Ellen Perez. So I would literally say my favorite <laughs> person, you know, to practice. Her attitude was not always prime, and she knows that. But <laughs> she was always a good time, to say the least. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I was looking for. Well, favorite teammate to go get dinner with? Oh, that was Ellen, too. <laughs> that's super <laughs> lame, but she's like one of my no. very good friends. I like it. Favorite to go out with? Ellen. (laughs) (laughs) You might want to, like, credit her in this interview. (laughs) Yeah, of course. I'll have to. Hopefully we get her on and she gives completely different answers. No, I'm just Yeah, she really Um, might. I, You know what? Sometimes (laughs) you think that friendship is, like, mutual and then you turn around and you're like, oh, gosh, I was super wrong and that was (laughs) one-sided. Funniest member of the Georgia Bulldog team? Oh, God, it was Ellen. I'm not doing this on purpose. No, I like it. Well, then we'll get the this can't. Well, maybe it could be Ellen, but different question. <laughs> Favorite memory of a match played at at Dan McGill? Oh wow. Um, 
when will I'll go? Well, we did lose that match, so that really can't be. Uh, there can't be. I mean, losses losses can be more memorable. <laughs> yeah, I guess that was true. I would I would say there were two. We lost both of them, but one was when we played Florida at home. They actually brought out like a fog machine for us, and it was super cool to walk through the doors and the fog. That's Even though awesome. we lost, you know, we did lose. We lost bad, and it wasn't necessarily the prettiest. And the other one was definitely the only time I got to play NCAAs. We played Pepperdine, you know, as a team, and we played it at Athens. And there, there's just thousands of people there, and there's really there's no feeling that compares to having that many people scream your name and, and know who you are and, and root for you. It's, it's just so neat. No, for sure. Well then this is something as a retired tennis player, even though I wasn't actually good, I think about quite often. So I'm sure you have a good answer to this match. You wish you could replay the most win or loss. Oh God, there's too many. <laughs> oh, geez. Um, I'm trying to think. Okay, no, I got it. That didn't take that long. So my freshman year, we were playing for a national championship at indoors against Carolina in the finals. And I was playing Caroline Price at three. We were at Virginia. And I had two match points up 5-3 uh -huh. in the third. And I ended up losing the match 7-5 in the third. Uh, and, of course, I got ten shots. So that was uh, I, uh, that was the deciding one. Oh, I shanked a forehand wide. <laughs> Oh, if it makes you feel any better, the last match I played, I double faulted the last three points away. So that was that one hurt. So I know that that's the one I'd like to replay the most as well. So I totally feel you there, is what I'm saying. All right, let's move to a, a different realm, non-college related. You know, I should have asked this earlier. You went to the Yvonne Lendl Tennis Academy. Any good Yvonne stories you want to share with us? Yvonne is actually the funniest person I've ever met. He's uh, he's a very <laughs> scary individual when you first meet him. But uh, my favorite memory from him is I had tendonitis in my shoulder. And I he was telling me, he told me to go get something called capsaicin. I didn't know what it was. I was like, okay, that's fine. So I put it on and he's just laughing at me. And I, I was like, Yvonne, I don't understand what's going on. He's like, wait five minutes, then come talk to me. And if you've ever used capsaicin, it's made from red pepper extract and a few other things that burn very, very much. And my whole arm was fire red. It was so painful that I couldn't practice the rest of the day. And he laughed at me and thought it was so funny. And I, I asked him why he told me to get it. And he said, well, you know, the burn brings blood flow. He said, by the way, I tried to get Andy to use this and he wouldn't because it hurt too badly. I said, oh, thanks, Yvonne. That was, uh, that was great. <laughs> but I, I still use capsaicin to this day. So. <laughs> Good. That's exactly what I was looking for with that story. Um, all right. Another one. Favorite place you've traveled to throughout your career? Hmm. This is going to be probably a lame answer, too. Uh, but Evansville. Evansville. Honestly. I do. Yeah, but there it, it is. it wasn't because of the location. It was because of the people. And I would I would, I would, would go back in a heartbeat. Um, the people that run the tournament there, Miss Anna, the tournament director, they just are so good to the players. There's fresh bagels every morning. And, you know, it's, it's just so nicely run. I just have the fondest memories there. Even, you know, I didn't win it all three years I played. That's for sure. But they always just have a way of making the players feel beyond welcome. And they are, they're so good to us. And I, I just love how they, people turn out and they watch, no matter if it's the first round of qualies or, or the finals, they just, they have the ball kids come and they're all so sweet. I love it there. I just, it's so friendly. And I think it's because it's a small town versus, being a giant you know commercial area they're just they're such good people 
No, that's awesome. Well, uh, I, you know, to transition a little bit, you said earlier you were a big reader, so I have to imagine at some point in the 8, 9, 10, 11 range, you got through the Harry Potter series. <laughs> I read them in like a week. <laughs> well, I would be happy to quote the seventh book with you, as I am also a huge Harry Potter slappy, but the question I want to ask you, Slytherin, Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, what house does Kennedy Schaefer fall in? God, see, I just don't... I'm too moody to be able to characterize myself to one. <laughs> I I have showed aspects of every single one of them to be to be entirely honest with you. It uh it really depends on the day. It I'm kind of like a wild card. You really don't know what you're going to get with me. So, it's you know, again, no concrete answer, but god, I I could literally fit in any of them cuz I I'm gonna, like, I'm going to say this lovingly. Me. No, we're friends, so I can be honest with you. Of that sounds a little huffle. That sounds a little Hufflepuffy. Best, you know, you're kind of uh, you know, not I, really I, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. I kind of feel like I, I fit in the obscure group, the kind of weird ones that, like, you know, you say hi to, but like you don't really take the time to uh, to necessarily chat with or hang out with. You're like, you're like, oh, you know. I remember her. Keep walking. Yeah. <laughs> no, you'd be you'd be the Cedric Diggory. You'd be the most talented of the weirdos, which and is I something. I would take that title with pride. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad to hear it. Well, you said you were an '80s music fan. Favorite song? Okay, I've got I've got four favorite songs. Um, <laughs> Enjoy the silence by Depeche Mode. Who can it be now? Um, Men Down Under. Uh, the Promise. Oh gosh, who's that? Who's that by? I can't. No, 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 that's wrong. The Promise and If You Leave. I cannot remember who sings those two songs, but those are my four. Like, anytime I get in a car, those are the first four songs I listen to. <laughs> I just think music was so great back then. So then, when the U2 album that's on every iPhone pops on accidentally on your phone. I was a little bit pissed phone. about that, though, because I didn't download it. <laughs> You know, I'm sorry. I, I didn't pick it. I again, <laughs> control is like uh, you know. If I don't, if I download it, that's totally fine. But if I didn't put it there, don't put it there for me. <laughs> no, I I like that. It's the middle child syndrome coming. Out. We can do it on our it own. Is. Yeah, I totally feel. Well, then, any of those songs? What's your pump up song before you go on court? Oh gosh, here's a, here's a, a flip. Here's a twist in it all. So I'm <laughs> besides eighties. Um, I'm a, a diehard EDM music fan. So uh, I will forever a twist love in the plot. Yeah, yeah. Avicii is my favorite artist of all time, and uh, I before matches, I listen to a lot of songs that have no words in them. They're just like mm. super hardcore uh, drops and stuff. So oh. I could give you the list of those, but like nobody really listens to it because like who <laughs> wants to listen to music with no words uh, besides me? I, I had a phase freshman year where there was way too much tsunami going on in my headphones. Oh my gosh, so I yeah. totally, that was See, many That was ago. a classic. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a classic. That's on like my throwback playlist. Uh, and then I have like my pure Avicii playlist, or it's like not a song that was not by Avicii. So, like I said, I have many moods, and uh, it really depends on how I wake up feeling that morning. That's really funny. All right, well then, a couple more, and then I pr- I promise I'll let you go. Um, <laughs> where do I even want to go next? Let's let's go here. Uh, city you would like to travel to the most? So I'm gonna I'm gonna. <laughs> 
I want to go to Europe more than anything in the world. Actually, I really want to go to Prague. Um, You know, I've never been to Europe, so I can't even pick one city there. Obviously, typical or stereotypical tourist, I want to go to Paris, but I feel like that's kind of, you can't say that because everybody (laughs) says that. Always wanted to go to Spain, like different cities in Spain and Italy. Capri sounds nice. I just want to go everywhere, but I'm too poor. (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I like that answer. That was a good one. Well, then, how about this? Favorite athlete non-tennis related? Oh, crap. Okay, or tennis related. You know what? Go for it. <laughs> You've earned it. <laughs> I, uh, let's see. What else? I mean, I love watching basketball, too. But I I will genuinely say that, like, Nadal is one of my favorite athletes of all time. I, I just oh think he's, he's the most. You know what? People say what they want. How humble is he? He just keeps his head down, works can, hard. Can I give a... I counterpoint, and I say this so respectfully, Rafa. Is it? Are we sure he's humble, or is his English just not that good? Okay, that was shot fired. Ooh. You know what? Actually, his English is pretty poor. But uh. I watched no, and I say that I watched him do an interview, and it's a credit to him. He knows more languages than I do. But you know, it's 2012, then lose. 2013, then lose, and you're like, oh, like you're okay. I also, like, I also love Messi. I do. <laughs> That's true. My coach That's is adorable. from Argentina, so always, always watch the Argentina games and love Messi too. You know, no, I, just, I have I'm a theory just... that. No, sorry, I have a theory in Argentina that Del Potro is Batman and Messi is Robin. I actually just like, love That's what they Del do. Potro too. Love him. Yeah, so they're a good duo. It works. I'm, I'm all in on it. Uh, yeah, I. I, I like those answers. Uh, you know, Rafa, <laughs> you don't have a Rafa, choice because those are the answers anyway. <laughs> Hated them. Yeah, they were terrible. All right. You said you're an avid reader. Favorite book you've read most recently? Hmm. Uh, I'm kind of like a series person. So, like, I can't pick one I like book. It. I'm reading. Yeah. Um, I finished watching a series of unfortunate events on Netflix and I read those books when I was so young. So I'm weirdly, uh, going through a phase where I'm rereading all 13 books again, but I also, uh, <laughs> I, know, I know, uh, the Outlander book series is super good. Love the TV show too. Uh, I love all books. I'm super no, like, I think that's a great uh, answer. Well, then that, that leads me to my next question. What are you most likely to be doing when you're not on the court? playing with my dog <laughs> again further twist my dog is my life i would take bullets for my dog and anybody who knows me knows that like i pick my dog over my family and so like if i'm not playing i'm with my dog now further from that i could be reading or you know something else but like my dog's priority a always and forever was that was that a georgia pun or this is a real dog no this is my dog leo <laughs> that's what this i think this is my dog that is literally like Anybody who knows, like, I won't go out because my dog is home and I don't want to leave my dog. <laughs> so my uh, my oh. friend Allie Kick and I, like, she's the one person I know that can level with me on that. Like, when I hit with her in surprise, she had a shirt on that said, I'd rather be with my dog. And <laughs> I have never, like, agreed to something so wholeheartedly. Oh, I love it. Well, then, two more for you. If you could take any shot out of the game of tennis, what would it be? forehand my forehand really? always feels like a struggle oh welcome to so, the club if well <laughs> story quick story when i was uh, when i was 13 i broke my back for the first time 
and I lost like nice. muscle. And it's going to sound crazy, but like I lost the muscle memory off the right side of my body and I could right. never swing naturally for a forehand again. So like my forehand technique um, is always going to be a little questionable. Ay, ay, ay. Um, I mean, I, look, you're way better. Than, I've seen your forehand. I've watched the videos. I saw that Colette Lewis uh, girls for or girls 18's clay court final video. <laughs> the highlights. Of the, was you so were moving bad. well on clay. Rocked. <laughs> I got rocked, but again, I you know I love Cat, so I was super happy for Cat Stewart. You know, she she deserved yeah. it, and I was just happy to be there. To be entirely no, uh... honest. <laughs> well, the point is, I like the video. I also like the video where you sent Georgia to the finals by Bobby Knight. I did my research for this. I was impressed by the tennis People game. People just whatever captured my peak moments. They don't catch the <laughs> downfalls on tape. Thank gosh. Yeah, but isn't it good? That means the peaks are impressive. It's like, f- the rest of it. Yeah, I wish I could feel like that, but the rest of it just <laughs> feels too prevalent right now. Yeah, that's fair. I guess that's part of the pain of, you know, actually doing it. That's why I get to have the fun as the commentator. Um, <laughs> but, okay, last question to you. For people who, you know, you, you've dealt with all this turmoil, all of this stuff, but now you are officially full-time on the pro circuit. For fans who come and see you play or just who are following you, what do you want them to take away from Kennedy Schaefer, the tennis player? Uh, I guess if I say this from my standpoint, and I guess for most people, I I would just want them to understand that most of it isn't most of the tour and the matches aren't rainbows and unicorns. Like you'll probably <laughs> catch players on a bad day or a not great day more often than not, but it's it's really not the great days. I've in my opinion, of course, it's not the great days that make the great players. It's those average days, those in between days that, that separate the good from the great. And so you know, ride ride the waves with your favorite players. They may have a run of, of terrible matches, <laughs> terrible tournaments, whatever. But you know, if you really if you really support their tennis or you know the tour and the development, you got to ride the waves. Unless you're a, unless you're you're a phenom, the path is not a straight shot. You know, as cliche yeah. as it is, it's that jagged line with curves and and twists and all that that most people just kind of pretend don't exist. But if it were that easy, you know, there's a few who do it and, you know, props to them. It's super great. But I feel like most people don't have that straight shot. And so, if, no. you know, you, you kind of got to hang in with the highs and the lows because there's going to be a really large mix of both. Yeah, well, totally fair. Uh, again, Kennedy, thank you so much for taking the time to come out and do this. It was such a pleasure. And I know I, I say that at the end of every episode, but I really mean it when I say this is one of my all-time favorites. You I do. feel that a little so special, fun. and I'm telling you, I, I, I've <laughs> needed that because it's been a rough 2019 so far. <laughs> no, you have an open invitation anytime you want to come on, if you want to take over for an interview, whatever. We, we can outdo Noah. Behind the Racket is out. Kennedy Schaefer podcast is in. You know what? I, I promise I could get some stories for you my first interview would be ellen and i would probably try to convince her that i was the most fun person to practice with too no i'm, so, I'm i look forward to hearing then that. i don't well, look so nuts yeah exactly well then where can us fans see you next that's a good question i don't know what i'm gonna get into so <laughs> i don't know where to tell you that i'll be you'll catch me at my club teaching trying to make some money to go somewhere but uh as of hey, right I'm now, I'm sure that's fun too. I, I've not made the I've not made the cutoff to really anything yeah. besides oh, two yeah, tournaments. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Well then, 
Look, I, I again, these ITF transition rules are stupid. If someone like you can't get in, what are we doing? Like this is <laughs> again, and we're and I reserve the right. We're actually for our hundredth episode doing a big look at the ITF transition. Are you rules, real? That'll to, be interesting. Yeah, trying to get a bunch of different perspectives in. So I will either. Cut the clips from this episode or reserve the right to call you back again soon. Well, now I'm probably going to do the my contact information, my unfiltered stream of consciousness. So you know what jokes on me. So Carousel, uh, this is, you know, you name dropped all pods, so I get to drop my one name. Uh, Carousel and I have been texting a little bit because I'm going to try and get him back on as well. And sometimes I think when I'm texting, like, God, are they like, who the f*** is this kid? Or are they like, oh, cool, like, he seems like a nice guy. So the joke may be on you. You're going to get a text at, like, 3 a.m. when I'm asking, like, oh, my God, did you see this challenger in Japan? And you're going to be like, what? Just don't be surprised if it takes me, like, a day and a half to answer. I will answer, I swear, but it just might take a minute. I have either misplaced my phone or am with my dog. You know, one of two options. Oh, well, I look forward to that day. Kennedy, again, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to do this, and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for having me and letting me run my mouth for like an hour and a half. Oh, of course. Take care. You and too. again, I, I'm definitely texting you on my own. We'll talk in like five minutes. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Yep. Bye. <laughs>